This is an OSV Podcast Network production. To learn more, visit osvpodcasts.com. Today's show is brought to you by Sacred Heart Major Seminary. Are you ready for a transformative journey this fall? Join Dr. Patricia Cooney Hathaway, Professor of Spirituality and Systemic Theology, as she leads an immersive online free course, An Introduction to Spirituality. This college-level course is your gateway to explore the depths of the Christian spiritual life and develop a profound personal relationship with God. Discover how spirituality goes beyond religious practices. It's about how you live your faith every day. Dr. Cooney Hathaway will guide you, unveiling spirituality as your heartfelt response to God's love through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uncover the mind and heart of Jesus Christ as you journey towards Him. In this course, you'll learn how to live your faith authentically, respond to God's presence, and grow in your relationship with Him. Experience the joy of a deep, fulfilling relationship with God who loves you as you are. This course will equip and empower you to become a missionary disciple, carrying spirituality into your everyday life. Answer the universal call to holiness and unlock the richness of the spiritual life. Enroll for free today in An Introduction to Spirituality with Dr. Patricia Cooney Hathaway. Embark on this incredible journey and witness the joy of growing closer to God. Visit shms.edu slash online and enroll now. How often do we go through life and we never see the beauty, the complexity, the sophistication that God has laid out around us that is supporting everything we do? This is OSV Talks, a show where we explore topics from prominent Catholic leaders to spark discussion, explore new or re-explore old approaches, and inspire creative thinking all from the heart of the church. My name is Doug Tuke and I will be your host. Hey, everybody, welcome. I'm here with Dr. Bradley Gregory, Associate Professor of Scripture in the School of Theology and Religious Studies at the Catholic University of America with expertise in the Pentateuch, wisdom, literature, and the history of interpretation. Bradley, thanks so much for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. I just love how much we've hit it off over the last couple of months. Yeah, it's been great. (laughs) This has been a treat. We met on the floor at NCYC getting ready to film keynotes for the digital learning experience at the National Catholic Youth Convention. And I just walked up to uh, Bradley afterwards and was like, okay, that was amazing. I really want you to do an OSV talk. And he's like, um, what's that? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think like all great friendships, it started in Lucas Oil Stadium. Yeah. Right. Right. Go Colts. (laughs) Uh, This has been great. This has been great. Your talk is fantastic. Your participation is great. I think your topic might be one of the most important um, in the modern era, when it comes to having conversations about evangelization, talking to moms and dads about their kids who no longer practice the faith and all these things. And the ramifications are this beautiful harmony that you talk about between science and religion. And I think it just comes so naturally from you. Was that always the case? Did you kind of come into that in your journey of faith as well? Yeah, that's a good question. I um, I mean, I grew up in a uh, an environment that mostly kind of polarized science and yeah. faith um in the in the south and 
I think when I was a, a major in chemistry and biochemistry at Georgia Tech as an undergraduate, <clears throat> I started to feel a little bit of tension in, in the sense that I wanted to be intellectually honest. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't believe that what I was learning was fatal to Ooh. the Christian faith. Yeah. That's a, that's um, a pretty awesome observation at the age of 19, 20, 21, and 22. <laughs> yeah. And actually, um, yeah. you know, I mean, sometimes scientists have a kind of stereotype about them, but I'll say this when I, by the time I graduated from Georgia tech, and it was going to work for a little while as a chemist, try to persuade a woman who had become my wife to marry me um, mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. leaving town. And then I knew I wanted to go to seminary and not, not to go into, uh, pastoral ministry, but because I wanted to teach. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I sat down on our, our debriefing all majors go through with the chair of the department at Georgia Tech. I have no idea what this guy's personal beliefs are. Right. But he asked me, what are your plans after, after tech? And I, I said, well, I'm going to l- work a little while in a research and development lab out in Conyers and um, save up some money, and then I want to go to seminary to be, eventually teach scripture. It's a good plan. And uh, I I expected a different reaction. Yeah. But he said, that's fantastic. You've got science, you've got the humanities, and you've got this like wonderfully well-rounded intellectual development. And that was not what I expected from yeah. the chair of chemistry at Georgia yeah. Tech. But I found that to be true, actually, that the things I learned at Georgia Tech, though I rarely titrate anymore, right? Um, rarely run a, a chromatograph, but, um, <laughs> as they say in geeky academia, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can edit that out. Um, but, <laughs> but the things that I learned about how to think and about how, how the world works have actually paid great dividends yes. as a, yeah. a scholar who studies scripture and the ancient world and thinks about how, how do we see God at work around us? Um, I think most people expect that I just left chemistry behind. That, that was, I was going to go there. I was just going to be like, I mean, you're talking about a major shift in uh, emphasis mm-hmm. at the young, at the 22, 21, probably somewhere around there. Uh, what, when I graduated? Like at Georgia Tech. Yeah. Yeah. I graduated coming. around 22. So you're making a pretty conscious decision to sort of walk away from where you invested four years of your life into the study of something that is not exactly job oriented. Um, that's a big change. It feels like to me. Yeah. I also didn't know that the market would collapse <laughs> as I was defending my dissertation. Yeah. So, I mean, no I, one does. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll ascribe it to Providence, but, you know, I, I guess I would say I'm very lucky in that I know a lot of people who uh, did advanced studies in scripture and then had to find kind of a parallel path. Sure. And some of those people felt very called to teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the fact that I felt that God was calling me to teach and that then it worked out and I, I'm right where I'd want to be, mm-hmm. um, fairly close to family yeah. uh, in a great university, great city, um, is a real blessing. And it, it impresses on me a kind of a responsibility um, to do that. But I also find that uh, I, I never really left it behind mm-hmm. in the sense that, I mean, I'm not working in a lab anymore. But as I said, the, the things that I learned there and the, the process of integration mm-hmm. of things. I've Sometimes in America, we think about education as like you build, you take little building blocks and you build up. Mm-hmm. But I, I once heard an academic say it's more like having, you know, a pool that you add liquids to. And it's always just kind of 
dynamically mm-hmm. changing that involves everything you have. I like that. And so I think having a background in chemistry and then going into scripture has probably affected how I think in ways that I'm not totally aware of. Some of them I, mm-hmm. I am, but um, I've seen dividends in the classroom. Yeah. I've had plenty of you know freshmen who come in and roll their eyes. We have to take a theology class. Oh, I'm sure. I remember once uh, I was when I my first job was as a, a an adjunct at Notre Dame, and I had a student in the class, and I, I don't think he was really taking theology seriously. And uh, he and another student were talking about an upcoming organic chemistry test, mm-hmm. and uh, it was the beginning of spring semester, and I said. So you guys are probably doing like alkenes and alkanes right now. And he was like, well, yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's really not hard. I mean, it's not as hard as the later second semester stuff. And uh, yeah, he he was like lost. Uh, that's, that's awesome. He did not expect his, like I didn't expect the chair at, 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 it's at like chemistry at Georgia Tech to say that. He didn't expect me to say that. Chemistry mic drop. Yeah, that was good. That's good work. I but, like um, that. but yeah, I mean, it's more than just, uh, you know, some street credibility. Oh, it's fantastic. With, with is science what it is. majors. Well, you put, you you allude to something I, I would love to talk about is your, your students, the relationship you have with your students. I have a daughter who's 20, 19. She's, she'll be 20 this fall. Um, became a certified nurse's assistant at mm-hmm. the age of 17 when she could. Loves the medical field. Uh, she's a practicing Catholic girl. Um, and in her two years of working as a CNA, as a graduating high school, now college freshman, she's seen a lot of death. Mm-hmm. She's seen a lot of um, the messiness of medicine. And the uh, disproportionate brokenness in administration, those kinds of things. And I love it. I'm like, great, because you're an undergrad. Like, you're going to know at the end of this, is this something you really want to do? Well, she's at a little liberal arts school. and She's in a theology class 101. And she's talking about the Paschal mystery and associating it with the suffering she's seen in the medical field, which is driving her studies. And she's bringing a compliment to that theology class that even the professor couldn't anticipate. I would imagine in the classroom, you get to see the broadest spectrum of where these highly achieving young people are seeking answers to pretty big questions. That's got to be pretty incredible. Yeah, it is. And um, I mean, that's one of the things I love about Catholic University is uh, the variety of students at the undergraduate, graduate, seminarian level. Sure. We get to teach. But what I find also is that you know any given classroom is going to have a different dynamic. But overall, it somewhat mirrors scripture in itself and that like all the messiness of life is there. Yeah. You know, scripture is not a fairy tale. Right. It, it, it has hard subjects because life is hard. Yeah. And, um, and when you tackle that head on and you do it, I think with, um, with the disposition of faith that, that the church can handle difficult things. Yeah. It's well the said. The messiness of life. Yeah. Uh, there's a real, there's a real comfort, I think, that's communicated to, to students that they're not in this alone, mm-hmm. you know. And, and yeah, I think uh, one of the great privileges is getting to see students at a pivotal moment of their own development as they're leaving home, they're thinking through, like, do I believe the same things mm-hmm. as my parents? Mm-hmm. What is my life going to look like? Mm-hmm. What are my values going to be? And just to play a role in helping them think through that and I mean, we had talked about this before, but um, the thing that makes me the happiest is if students come out of my introductory theology class and think, wow, my tradition's deeper and richer than I thought it was. Oh, that's such a good line. You know, that's such and, a good line. And um, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what makes teaching. That's what makes teaching great. But that's the result of I, I, when I was doing youth ministry full time, I would 
always encourage it to be a safe place to ask the hardest questions. I think that's what attracted me to theology and philosophy in the first place was, well, let's see how hard the questions could really be. And you find a place where there's people way smarter than you'll ever be that have pursued answers to those questions. And then you kind of latch onto that and go, oh my gosh, I can go as deep as I want to go. And that's amazing for an 18, 19 year old to realize, especially if faith was more of a uh, something they associated with their childhood or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Before I came to Catholic university, I was at a Jesuit school and probably the best student I had there. Um, she had gone through some really difficult things. I mean, wonderful woman, um, extremely bright, but I mean, she was wrestling with things a lot of, I think a lot of young people go through. But mm -hmm. For her, it was, you know, really, really intense. And um, so we were talking in my office hours one day and uh, she was talking about how faith is a struggle for her. And, uh, and I just said kind of matter of factly that um, I don't trust people who think faith is easy. Um, mm. Faith can be the hardest thing in the world. Yeah, indeed. And you could almost see like the burden roll off. Yeah. That she didn't have to live up to some good Christian ideal yeah. that takes everything in stride because God is good all the time. Yeah. You know, and I mean, that's not wrong, but, um, but life, life is hard and yeah. it's messy and, and faith, if you really grapple with what faith is, faith is challenging. Of course it is. Yeah. And um, in fact, if it's squeaky clean, it makes me nervous. Yeah, exactly. It just makes me nervous. Yeah. I, I, I'm afraid that people are then glossing over things yeah. and that they're not ready, you know, like Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, they're not ready for when the storms come. Yeah. Because they really haven't sunk their foundations that's right. down. That's right. And um, yeah, and I think that's one of the things that, that is great about teaching scripture to freshmen is that they see how much of a struggle these things are. Yeah. And it's okay not to have it all figured out. Um, one of the things I tell them that I think the church can really learn from the Jewish tradition is that wrestling with scripture is formative. Mm. It's not just you read it and find out information. Right. You, you know, like Jacob with the angel. Yeah. You, you wrestle with it. Yeah. And then in doing that, God does something with you, yeah, yeah, and in you, yeah, um, yeah, and that that I think is is what's, and that's a hard thing I think to communicate to students who have sometimes been told through high school that here are the questions, here are the answers, go memorize them, yes, yes. and to get them to see that the best questions you can't memorize the answer. Yeah. The best questions take a lifetime to, to answer. And take you to a place you don't expect and maybe are afraid to go. Yeah. I think that's uh, that's hard for young people who sometimes are pretty risk averse, which is right. hard to say because you think of young people as being totally carefree and full of risk. And I'm not sure that's necessarily true of a, a generation of teens today. The risk, is, risk can be a little scary. Um, yeah, you have to be more vulnerable than the kind of faux vulnerability of like a Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a, there's a digital shield behind that. You know, what yeah. I think is being vulnerable is really not because there's not an authentic conversation there. That's just kind of burly. That's just not really true. Yeah, I think, I right. think uh, there's, I mean, oh my gosh, there's just so many ramifications about educating our young people that I think are a fascinating way to talk. But I, I feel like as a dad, uh, I, I never wanted to be a victim of portraying a morally self-righteous version of faith. That makes me very nervous, especially in the midst of a 20-year scandalous church that has 
kind of broken trust with a lot of its believers. You know, its leadership has broken that trust. Mm-hmm. So you have a generation of people who look at that and go, you're morally righteous. Give me a break. Boom, they bail. So their version of church was, that's where you go to be the right kind of person. And you're clearly not the right kind of person, so I won't go there anymore. Mm-hmm. What a travesty. You know, because yeah. what you're saying is, no, 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 no. We're supposed to take our broken humanity and go digest this thing called the Logos, and it actually does things to us. It's it's supposed to work on us. That's a different kind of faith formation. And I would say a lot of our young people aren't getting that. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think that's well put. I think that it has both a moral component and an intellectual theological component that um, to wrestle with hard theological things mm-hmm. and not run straight to the answer. Mm-hmm. Like there is an answer for the biggest questions that, that can be summarized in two sentences. Yeah, um, That's an important, I think, thing for people to grasp. Oh, me too. I, I totally agree with you. Um, and we're yeah. co- you're coming at it from academia. I'm coming at it from Wednesday night youth group, you know, for 20 years. Yeah. But it's the same problem. It was the same problem. It's yeah. unbelievable. No, so I'll tell you a story about <clears throat> a few years ago, I, I was tasked with teaching the capstone seminar for the School of Theology for the graduating seniors. And the idea behind the course is that you're kind of like integrating lots of the things they've learned through their undergraduate mm-hmm. time and trying to, um, trying to get some kind of synthesis, some kind of like integration of these different strands of you know, scripture and moral theology and liturgy and these kinds of sure. things. Um, and for that class, I decided to do uh, the first half of Genesis, the origin stories of the world, humanity, uh, the people of God. And um, that somewhat surprised, I guess, some students. But I said, you know, now that you're at the end, then you go back to the beginning and you read it with more depth. So that's what mm. we're going to do. We're mm-hmm. going to go back to what you did the first semester of freshman year. We're going to go through it and we're going to see a bigger depth to it. And then I would structure every class in, in almost like a puzzle that would try to get them to see that there's more going on and you can't really wrap it all up in a bow. Mm-hmm. Like scripture is kind of wild here and you, you, can't, you can't master it and control it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it became a kind of running joke among the seniors that you know at the end of every two and a half hour seminar we met once a week, there would always be a pivot in which I would try to like put the pieces together. And uh, I did this intentionally, but I, we got to the last week of the seminar and we were doing the offering of Isaac, mm-hmm. um, a troubling text on any level. Yeah. Every preacher's nightmare. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so we were, we were pressing more and more in to the theological and the moral and the, redemptive historical and those kinds of things. And I could see the students were starting to get kind of unsettled. Because what they really wanted me to do is say, uh, God doesn't really ask that. It's just the foreshadowing of Jesus. Um, Uh, And (laughs) and like, I I was impressing upon them, like for somebody in ancient Israel at the time of Abraham, that would have been a legit ask. And the story only works if Abraham thinks I have to do this. Yeah. This is the kind of sacrifice that's required of me. If it's all for show, then it's a flat story. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And um, so we got gotten to near the end, and this one student said, All right, what is the pivot? And he thought I was gonna like pull out a solution to yeah. relieve the discomfort. Yeah. And he said, Here's the pivot. Sometimes there's no pivot. 
Oof. And I said, sometimes that's hard for a 22 year old. Yeah. Yeah. I said, sometimes you just have to go, I can't solve this. Uh huh. I, I'm confronted with a mystery that is bigger and more demanding. And I, I'm rendered somewhat helpless by it. Um, and then uh, I read them Oliver Wendell Holmes' uh, poem uh, called The One Hoss Shay. Mm. And it's a great poem written in the 1800s. And it's basically about how New England became post-Christian. Mm-hmm. And the reason that New England did, but that Mid-Atlantic didn't, was that Mid-Atlantic was more comfortable with indeterminacy wrestling with scripture. This was the Princeton model. Uh-huh. Uh, the New England model, especially among Congregationalists, was to try to get more and more theological precision. And the, the one hache is about this, it's also called the Deacon's Masterpiece, but it's about a, a sled, a, a shay that was built so well uh, that it, it didn't wear down. Mm-hmm. You know, normally you get a car and as things wear down, you replace them, right. that kind of thing. This was built so well, it just all worked perfectly mm-hmm. until one day it didn't and it all collapsed at once. <laughs> and Holmes tells this, most people believe, as a metaphor for what happens when you try to have all the theological ends tied up with no ambiguity, yeah. no remainder. Because wow. that's what New England tried to do. And they drove themselves crazy. And then eventually the whole thing collapsed. Yeah, indeed. indeed. And then I kind of returned to the Abraham story and I said, you're at the end of your undergraduate careers, theologians. That does not mean you have all the answers. Yeah. It means you have better questions. Mm-hmm. But if you ever get to the point where you think, now I have it all figured out, a collapse is coming. Oh, my goodness. And but not just professionally, like an emotional collapse. Is yeah. Coming. yeah. And I, I mean, like it's going to be both personal and public. Yeah. yeah. And I told him. Good them, warning. I, yeah. I told him, I said, I know many former owners of one Hoshes. Wow. And they're Good wrecks. Line. Good line. You know? So you have to, you have to, you have to let scripture be over you. That's right. That's right. You don't ever say, I got this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you say, I got this, you're in trouble. Oh, you are in trouble. I mean, I, I, my, all of my peers that have worked in adolescent formation and and just trying to teach the faith to young people that's in a much less academic environment, you know, a lot of us have our little undergrad degrees and it is dangerous how, um, the um, the uh, academic arrogance that comes with that, and then the way that that person, that twenty two year old, has a real crisis of faith by about the age of twenty five, when all the jokes uh, aren't funny anymore, when their personality isn't carrying the day, mm-hmm. and when they don't have the answer to the thirteen year old who just doesn't care, they don't yeah. have an answer, so the precision breaks, yeah, and and the little undergrad version of what they think is a perfect execution of ministry or formation falls apart. And then it's, I'm going to quit my job or I, I guess I'll go to grad school. And neither one of those are helping. Neither one of those help. It, it's, no. it, it's just a broken. So when the approach is like you're describing, which is like, all right, let's get into the mess. Uh, like that's a different approach to ministry, which I think quite frankly has a longevity that's to be regarded. Yeah. And if I could tie this back maybe into the topic of my talk, I think there's something theologically significant in the fact that God unfolded the world slowly over a long period of time, like he did, because that means no matter when you live, mm-hmm. there's always more to discover. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, a parable for life. Yep. The problem that the 1800s got in, in addition to Holmes, was so many Christians thought everything around us is designed from the beginning exactly like this and has never changed. Right. And right. when you have that model 
of how God works in the world, of course Darwin's going to blow it up. Yeah, yeah. But that's not even true to how spirituality happens. That's right. It's not true to anything. Yeah. Um, spirituality is fire and water. Those things change everything. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's 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 inherent in the language of the Trinity. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, a lot of the great spirituality people, I think of like Bonaventure's Soul Journey to God or Burn of Clairvaux's Sermons on the Song of Songs. The whole notion that that humans and God are in this kind of love relationship means there's an ever drawing closer. Mm-hmm. It's not static. Yeah. And, um, and that translates to all kinds of things, but especially theological learning. You never yeah. actually get there. Yeah. You just go deeper and deeper and deeper. I love that. Yeah. I love that language. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for your hard work on your talk as well. Oh, thanks. Our rehearsals were a total joy. And uh, I'm thankful that we've made this connection so that this relationship can continue. But man, great job. Blessings on uh, just on your teaching and continuing to be a true former of the faith in the classroom, not just of the mind, but definitely forming hearts. I think what you've given us in your conversation about science and religion and even what you've talked about today is this is a bigger conversation than people give it credit for and it shouldn't just be checked off. It's got to be it's got to be invested in. I know it's going to inspire people. So thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. That's a pleasure. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. OSV brings you these talks from prominent Catholic leaders to get the church talking. You can enjoy all OSV Talks at osvtalks.com. Please rate and review our show wherever you like to listen. Until next time, God bless. Today's show is brought to you by Sacred Heart Major Seminary. Are you ready for a transformative journey this fall? Join Dr. Patricia Cooney Hathaway, Professor of Spirituality and Systemic Theology, as she leads an immersive online free course an introduction to spirituality. This college-level course is your gateway to explore the depths of the Christian spiritual life and develop a profound personal relationship with God. Discover how spirituality goes beyond religious practices. It's about how you live your faith every day. Dr. Cooney Hathaway will guide you, unveiling spirituality as your heartfelt response to God's love through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uncover the mind and heart of Jesus Christ as you journey towards Him. In this course, you'll learn how to live your faith authentically, respond to God's presence, and grow in your relationship with Him. Experience the joy of a deep, fulfilling relationship with God who loves you as you are. This course will equip and empower you to become a missionary disciple, carrying spirituality into your everyday life. Answer the universal call to holiness and unlock the richness of the spiritual life. Enroll for free today in An Introduction to Spirituality with Dr. Patricia Cooney Hathaway. Embark on this incredible journey and witness the joy of growing closer to God. Visit shms.edu slash online and enroll now.